Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 129. And back when I back when we started making this podcast, with the knowledge I had, there were certain episodes, certain content of books, specifically like Way of Kings, Oathbringer. The whole day before a podcast recording, I would think to myself, how do I do the content justice? How on earth do I begin to talk about everything that I just read and processed and tried to comprehend because Brandon Sanderson presents it so masterfully, and then I have to not make a fool of myself of discussing it at a a similar caliber. So that is the attempt tonight. Paul, how are you? How am I? Just like you, I'm mourning the loss of Taft. Um, uh, that was that was partly my my jest. Um, I'm doing good. Uh, I'm also going to go and throw this in here uh, because I don't know if we do a formal announcement for this. Um, and I don't have a name, but I do want to give a shout out this week with my mug to one of our patrons who's remaining one of our patrons but has uh, leveled up, if you will, from a surgeon to an ardent, and we really appreciate Adriana, I believe is the name uh, there. And so to you, I raise my flower bucket um, (laughs) and really appreciate your support. I'm so sorry I didn't write your name. Um, I wanted to give a shout out. I didn't actually know the protocol. I might write it while, while we're in the episode. You know, who knows? But um, today we raise our our flower buckets and our glasses to Adriana, the ardent, genuine, not the surgeon, the ardent. Genuine question: Did you go outside to get your cup this week? No, it was right here in the house, and it was not being used as an actual flower bucket. It was very clean, and it still is very clean. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I, I think I don't know what it's from. I just found it. I kind of don't question things. I live with three roommates that are all. You know, twenty something year old guys are thirty. Um and so yeah, you're there's not a lot helping of things your that case. just I, a lot of times I just don't question <laughs> it. So I just find these and I use them. So there we go. Fair enough. Do you guys oh, Elliot, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I think I've I think I've been able to process the events of, of last week's episode events of this week's episode equally traumatic actually a little bit less so for me maybe in these ones but it does help me a lot to process them with you guys you know i read them i have my initial reaction to them i have my thoughts but i feel like i don't really fully kind of conclude my how i felt about that until after i've had a chance to to talk it with over with you guys that's that's how far we've come on this podcast is I, I need you guys to complete my thoughts on, on what I just read. I'm very much in that place as we start these chapters. I have to say, I entirely agree. I hear stuff and I'm like, that can't be right. I'll wait to see what Trevor and Elliot say about it. I'm looking and, and, forward to content I've never read before so that I can experience that because I've never experienced that. And I would say that extends out to to you guys as our, our listeners too. When I when I read a comment in the, you know, in our on our YouTube channel or if somebody chimes in on the Discord with stuff that that's like 
man, I hadn't thought about that before. It, it makes me go back and revisit, you know, what I thought about some of those. So that that's not just the two of you guys that I'm looking at on the the camera. It's also the all of you guys out there listening and, and chiming in on a lot of this stuff too. So so thank you. Thank you all for helping me figure out what I think about these books. It's a lot of fun. Sounds good. Paul, do you have two words to summarize episode 129? I do. Uh, my two words for these chapters today for our episode are convincing and dependence. Okay. Elliot? I think Pattern would be proud of my my words for today. They are worthy lies. All right. I thought you were going to say no mating. <laughs> Pattern would be <laughs> proud of that, but I don't know how I would tie that into these chapters. Good point. Let's use these four words and talk about Rhythm of Four. All right. Paul, do you want to start with your words? I, I would love to. Um, first, the first word is convincing. And the reason that I put convincing is I feel like this is something we're going to be looking at from here and in the future a lot more. Um, I actually need to scroll right quick in our out. Oh, oh. <clears throat> uh, something that we will talk about later in this episode is how odium like convinces you of, of lies uh, in certain ways or like we'll talk about that, that he kind of has this lie that there is no choice. There is only like doom and destruction and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, and a lot of his power comes from uh, people who are convinced that that is the case. Teravangian was convinced that is the case and has done all the things he's done. And we see that more and more and more. Um, and, and I think we will continue to see that. Going further, I think that is how any of our characters who are redeemed will be redeemed. Is through at least evidence that may convince them. Whether or not someone convinces them or they convince themselves internally. That Odium is evil or my ways are wrong or, or things like that. Um, and they will... Switch sides or something. Last episode, we went on a big rabbit trail theorizing for Stormlight 5 about, oh, oh, uh, sorry, Moash maybe being redeemed. And I think that would start with someone convincing him that, you know, his past is like, it's all right. Like, things are okay and um, that things can be let go of. And so uh, I feel like convincing is something we're going to see a lot. Um, that, that I pointed out. My other word is dependence. In this word, I, I don't know if I could come up with just the right word to depict what I wanted to. What I mean by dependence is a lot of our characters in this uh, chapter are, are having to be dependent on one another, but it leads to their like restoration of, of a relationship. Um, and it's like a restoration through dependence, um, which is, I feel like, in general, unwanted. 
by, by people. Like people don't want to be dependent on someone. Right. Um, but how whenever someone comes through for you in a time where you have to be dependent on them, how that can strengthen the relationship. I'm thinking of Kaladin saving his father um, and kind of like dependence there um, and how we kind of see some restoration between in that storyline again. Um, and I think that, oh, 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 I also thought of that with Navani and the sibling um, and how there's almost like a necessity, which we'll talk about that more. I mean, that's a little more complicated. I'd say, I don't know yeah. if I would completely call it dependence um, or like a giving in to something, but anyways, um, some forms of dependence turning into uh, improved relationships, I would say. Elliot? So my two words might sound like they have to do with each other, but they actually don't at all. I have worthy and lies completely separately. My first one, lies. Paul, when you said your words, I thought for sure our words weren't going to have anything to do with each other. And then with your description of convincing, you stole like 90% of what I was going to talk about with lies. So fast forward two minutes and go go see Paul's description of his word convincing for most of what I was going to say about, about lies, which I keyed in on the exact same things that, that you are about odium and that lie that he relies on to make you think you don't have a choice. I'll just add one, one bit to it. I think Moash tells a filthy, dirty lie in chapter 107. He's, he's classic, like thriller movie. He's stalking Navani. She's the wounded hero, you know, backing away, trying to escape. And he's the Darth Vader on the the docking port of the Tantive Four, just, you know, bearing down on her with his with his weapon ready. And he is shouting, he's taunting her with Elokar's death. Yes. He says, Yes. He begged me for death at the end. He cried at the end, which I about threw the book at the wall at that moment because that is not how Elokar died. Right. That is not even close to how he went out. He went out speaking the oaths of the Knights Radiant. This huge, amazing, redemptive moment for a character we didn't even like to start with. And and Moash is going to go drag his name through the dirt. Absolutely not, my friend. Absolutely not. Anyway, had to get on a soapbox there with with lies because that was a, a a dirty one my other word worthy is probably my favorite part about this set of chapters and have to do with navani navani goes on such a little mini it's not even mini because part of her her huge character arc from how she views herself is she worthy or is she unworthy of being a hero in our story and I love when it gets to the moment where she has to convince the sibling that she's worthy. Really, really powerful. We'll, we'll get to it. Th those are my two words. Good stuff. Good stuff. I think we should hop right into it. Chapter 105 is quite the low of lows to start the episode on. Moash has killed Teft. And Kaladin walks into the room. He's wondering why aren't the why aren't the radiants up and and escaped yet? They're all just still sitting there. 
And I imagine Moash is like sitting above the door. He's lashed himself to like to the ceiling or something, sitting above the door, and he drops Tef's body right in front of him. And Kaladin freezes for at least a couple chapters. He's just sitting there and staring at Teft while all these events start happening around him. The entire tower starts changing around him. And Teft and Kaladin is frozen. And we get a Moash point of view section where he goes over to the pursuer, hands him Liren, who is bound and gagged, and says... If Kaladin starts stirring, if he starts defending the the radiance around him, immediately kill his father in front of him, and that will that will finally break him if he's not already broken. So he hands the pursuer, uh, who, who is thoroughly beaten at the, this point. We have we didn't really talk about that, but um, there was a, a very flashy fight last episode where they they fought and fought and fought and. Eventually, the pursuer just started running, and Kaladin said, I will pursue you till or forever. I am the storm, blah, blah, blah. And so the pursuer is defeated. He has a new title that Leshwi calls him the defeated one. And he's handed Liren as Moash walks away, and the pursuer is thinking to himself, well, why don't I just kill Kaladin, his back is turned, he has no stormlight right now. I can just run him through with a, a carapace or whatever, and he's dead. So eventually he does get to that, but at first he he doesn't, and all of our heavenly ones are reverent of Teft dying and how much sorrow Kaladin is feeling. Which leads me to Venli walking up, and she's a part of this. Venli has come back into the tower after trying to escape on the oath gates that didn't work comes back in and she thinks to herself i have i have lost people closer to me than teft is to kaladin and i have not felt even a fraction of the grief that this man is feeling why is that either one of you guys want to pick that up I like that moment because I thought it was very telling of where Venling was at in those moments where she lost Eshenai. Yeah. Where she lost her mother, or so she thought. She's reflecting back on that and realizing that she didn't have those emotions in that those moments, which I think is hugely telling and i think venley might be seeing this more and more too of how corrupted she was at that point yeah we there were moments i think we've talked about them it's probably been five or six episodes now where she was like feeling delight at the death of some of the the singers because it was less people to oppose her plans like oh all the people that would resist me are dying off in battle this is great that those kinds of moments that that is right in the same bucket for me as not feeling remorse over or sadness or grief that Kaladin is feeling, Venlin is realizing just how far gone she she had been. Yeah. I and part of this just has to do with the magic system, the species system that Brandon Sanderson has created with the singers, is that 
because of the form that she was in, because of the void spread that she was hosting, or is that a more personal problem for Fenley? I don't, I don't know. It's a good question. Moash is on his way to go kill Navani to f to get his end of the bargain here. He has successfully derailed Kaladin as an issue in the tower. And all of the singers, especially the Pursuer, is like, well, now what? Moash is gone. Kaladin is sitting there doing nothing. And the Pursuer decides to take things into his own hands and attack Kaladin. And that's when a lot of this action kicks off. The, what was the catalyst for... Did, did the Pursuer decide to attack Kaladin of his own decision, or was he pushed to do it? I'm fishing for something here. I think I know what you're fishing for, so I'll, I'll, I'll bite, because it really had me intrigued. And that was Leshwi's actions yes. in, in this whole picture. Leshwi... I was trying to look it up really quick to reference it, and I'll, I'll have to keep looking while we while we talk here. But I, I was kind of on the fence whether I thought Leshley was intentionally provoking the pursuer or not, and I couldn't quite tell. She she says some things that really kind of goad the pursuer into riling him up to the point where he takes action, where he goes to try and finish Kaladin off. Basically, a I'll prove you wrong. Watch me take out you know Stormblast here which of course breaks Kaladin out of the grief trance that he's in and causes the action, which leads to the rest of this. But I almost wondered there if Leshwi was doing that on purpose. Especially with the context of the next couple chapters, how we know the scene ends or at least paused for when we're, we're done here in chapter 110. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I will agree with you. I or <clears throat> I would state that I think she is. I think she is trying to cause problems unintentionally. Um, something like that would be casual enough to honestly slip by. Where I didn't even think about it. But given the context that we see later, which I'm excited to talk about, by the way, uh, with Leshwi, it looks like Leshwi may be one of our good guys, or um, at least is exactly. Sorry at least is definitely not who we thought. There's way more to her on a radiant side than we thought. Yes. So, I, I'm... With the information we have, I would say that this probably is intentional. I'm not quite sure, because I'm not 100% convinced that Leshwi <laughs> knows that that would be a helpful act for Kaladin to provoke the pursuer into trying to kill him uh, in her mind it could easily just be or from her perspective that could be a bad thing in fact i think she even reacts negatively in the moment where she like reaches out to stop the pursuer from going after Kaladin. but maybe that's part of the whole ploy to begin with but i do think leshwi and we've gotten hints of this from the very beginning since we met leshwi of she is the she's the honorable enemy yeah she is the she's on the enemy's side but there is honor in her and we've seen that through 
out. The piece that we get here in one of these chapters, I think it's shortly after this, when Venli reveals herself to Leshwi as a radiant, her reaction is really cool. Yeah. I think her reaction's even bridged over two different chapters, and that's a cliffhanger that he leaves you on, where she grabs her face and says, what have you done? And then in the next chapter, it's more, what have you done? Like, it's it's more of an excited, like, wait. So. And the reveal that you get to eventually, you're right, I'm flipping through the pages. It's actually strung out across, like, three chapters. Yeah. Because we start jumping... POVs pretty rapidly in some of these some of these chapters. Not quite as rapidly as Sander Lynch of Oathbringer, Oathbringer, where it's like every three sentences. Yes. I was getting flashbacks to that. I was like, if this comes back and it's still nothing happens, then come on, you can't do that to me. Yep. I didn't have that complaint with this uh with these chapters. But it was kinda alright, okay. We're hopping around. <laughs> it wasn't quite that much whiplash, but it was still jumping around a lot. But anyway when we kind of get to the the closing bit of that little story, it's revealed that Leshwi, or we get the reveal that Leshwi is interested, perhaps very excited about the fact that, that Venli has bonded a radiant spren. And she asks her first reaction, her first reaction is to ask about a specific spren by name. Yeah. Which is really interesting. The, the immediate implication being did Leshwi have a bond with this was, Spren? Was Leshwi like, a Windrunner? Like, as a Radiant? Yeah. In the long, long, long forgotten history? I'm really intrigued now. Me too. That was, that was my biggest thing. Are we talking about that fully now? Yeah. We yeah. can go. I, I, uh, so she says, she like looks at Venley with a lot of, in, like, I guess deep. Yeah, deep emotion. Um, and says, "Do do you know Raya, or like, do you know if your Spren knows Raya, a Spren who is very dear to her, like in a long time ago?" Um, and first off, I tried to think, do we know who Raya is? Have we met a Raya? I don't think so. I couldn't think of anything. Um, I don't know either, off the top of my head. But either way like this was very shocking for me that this this definitely surprised me um that one venley doesn't die from exposing herself into um that that leshwi has deep sympathy towards towards the spren or at least very much misses her spren i'm assuming raya was her spren yeah. um And and this is the moment too, to to kind of keep going down this Venley storyline. This is the moment that spurs action from Leshwi and a number of the other, not all of them, but a number of the other. What are they called? Heavenly Heavenly ones. ones? Yeah. This is the moment where they jump in. They jump into the kind of full-on battle that's erupted at that point to defend the Radiance from the attacking fused, or maybe they're regals, or basically the pursuer's team. Yep. Which is, which is a big 
Trevor, you alluded to this before. Big moment here. Yeah. The the implications of this moving forward we'll get to in a second, but Venley spinning on the pursuer and finally it's it's finally the motivation for her to actually do something because she's been very vocal about no, you can't kill the radiance. No, you can't. Like you know, we're we're better than that. We we're not the savages the humans think we are. And so then, as soon as the pursuer gives his orders to start killing radiance, Venli or sorry, Leshwi isn't jumping in quite yet because she's afraid of Raboniel. She's afraid of well. I can't act directly against the pursuer because then that will be a civil war. And it's not till she sees the spren and she has a hope of maybe returning to a spren. Maybe. I don't know. She says that she can't. Um, uh, my, my mind has been too corrupted by odium. So we'd have to save that for someone else, but it's not till she sees a spren bonded with a singer that she jumps in. And then she jumps in to save the humans and starts the full-on civil war, as Relaine puts it in his point of view. Um, but before all that happens, as the pursuer is attacking Kaladin, Kaladin spins around and fights the pursuer real, real quick. He makes quick work of the pursuer at, on the second round. And this is from a Venli point of view, this this Kaladin thing. We're not in Kaladin's head yet. From Venli's perspective, she sees Kaladin spin around, and his eyes are glowing yellow-red. And I remember there, this. I remember this from my first read, thinking to myself, oh no. Kaladin, Kaladin's eyes are glowing yellow-red. And... He lashes the pursuer to the wall and then lashes the head of the pursuer to the floor and rips it off. By the way, epic. I love that. That's awesome. Um, just, But it made me think to myself, how, how have we not seen this before? Don't lashings have to do with like an object and you can't lash a, an object apart? That's a good question. Which, I the the sec, the the follow up there. I'll give you more to think about in a second. What if he's using two different surges? He is stormlight lashing him to the window, and void light lashing him to the floor. Odium corruption style. I mean, I don't know where he would have gotten void light from here, but I don't know. Somewhere. Interesting thought. I don't think it's that. <clears throat> I was super excited because I thought this was just like a new. Like a new a new application that we were seeing of, of lashings. Because uh-huh. I feel like we've always seen lashings before of like, oh, I'm sticking someone to the ground or something like that. But I like seeing this with offen- offense. Right. Like. It seems really brutal. Yeah, <laughs> but, this is medieval torture lashings. <laughs> yeah, but like the ability to do that, to like be able to push someone hard enough with a touch, 
external force to rip them apart probably comes in handy in a war in a pinch, you know, just like, um, I didn't know if this was a sign of maybe his lashing skills are better or different. There's different understanding. Like, I feel like I can almost compare this to our, (laughs) to our music, our tones of like, I feel like there was an increase in understanding that let Navani use light in different ways or like pull or push light in different ways. And I feel like I would totally believe if it's just like a mastery thing, like Kaladin's really got become a master of light lashing and can do that. But I I didn't think too deep about it reading this. I was just like, whoa, he just lashed that guy in half. Um, (laughs) Yes, he did. (laughs) Yeah. And and I thought that was awesome. I, I loved it. I definitely didn't go the direction you're going with it, Trevor. That would be a big deal. Yes. Yes, it would. A big, big deal if Kalanin just used a void surge, implying in my mind that he would have to have some sort of a void spren bond, you know, like Venley style doing both at once. I mean, that's big. And that's a lot to, for me, that's a bit, I think that's, that's a bridge too far to go off of the, his eyes were yellowish and red. Right. I read yeah, I that think more, he was... I, I read it more as we're in Venley's perspective, right? We are. Venley's the one who's seeing this. And there, there is a very leading pause there in that, in that paragraph. Where she sees a light and then she it's like leaves you hanging. It's like like dot 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 like dot dot dot. I just took that as her fear. Venley knows of void spren and fused. I think she's I think she's thinking of fused in this moment, that he's like a fused, which she's afraid of. I ju- I took it as just her fear and didn't go any further than that, but there have been times before when three words tucked away in a sentence have meant way more than we thought at first. So I wouldn't completely discount your thoughts. Yeah. The, the reason why my alarm bells went off like so, so hard, especially this time around, not necessarily last time I read this, but uh, let me read it for you and then see if you are picking up what I'm, what I am in that. This is Venley's perspective in that moment. Kaladin did something to the window. As he stepped back, he left the pursuer stuck to the glass, immobilized and lacking the void light to eject his soul. Kaladin didn't attack. Instead, he reached down and infused the ground, but with power that didn't glow as strong as she thought it should. The pursuer's head. It was pulling forward about his neck, his eyes bulging. He groaned, and Venley realized that Stormblast had infused the ground, then made it pull on the pursuer's head, but his body was stuck to the wall. Kaladin turned and strode toward the watching Heavenly Ones, as the pursuer's head ripped from its body, slammed to the floor with a crunch. The line there that really makes me second-guess this is the... The power is not glowing as much as 
Venli is expecting it to. Venli is familiar with both types of surges of Heavenly Ones and her own Radiant Powers. And for her to not recognize what Kaladin is doing is what is setting my setting my theory bells off. Are you guys you guys see that? Yes, I see it. And with that, that makes me actually think this has validity to it. Honestly, initially, I was like, oh, no, I think that's way too far-fetched. And mm-hmm. I still don't know how it could fit in that right now that he has a Void Sprint to use Void Light and can use a Void Surge with it. Right. However, what I wanted to add is, if that is the case... We theorized last week, or last episode on Stormlight 5. What if <laughs> we get the Moash Redemption story, and we get the Kaladin Falls to Odium story, and so they face off at the end, but on the but, other but sides. Moash, <laughs> Moash is not Honor's Champion. Don't you dare say that. There's no way Moash is Honor's Champion. So he's too far gone? Yes. Okay. Uh, currently, no. I I don't think he's too far gone. Who knows Odium the best to maybe beat him? It's true. It's true. I I did not notice that second bit of evidence there to add to the eyes. The whole the lashing on the floor is not glowing the way it should. I did not notice that the first time around. That's definitely a that's definitely a bit of evidence there. I'm not sure. You have me. You have me back on the fence. Before, I was very convinced this was not Odium or Kaladin is void surging, void yeah. binding, and whatever. And I'm and I part of me wonders if it's not necessarily a void spren, but the power is fueled by Odium himself. If Odium is here, prepared for Kaladin, and giving him the power to do this, or even like out of the pursuer somehow. Yeah. If like, cause it, it talks about the fact that the pursuer is out of void light. Right. Did to Kaladin somehow suck out the void light out of him and do a surge with it? I, you have me back on the fence. The you title, have me back in the realm of this is maybe possible. The title okay. of the chapter is emulsifier. And also a side note, <laughs> or, or I guess another theory on this. We know that, Bondsmiths can enhance radiant abilities. Yep. I wonder if this is some way tied, and we haven't seen it like on screen, but maybe Dalinar or Ishar or something is like influencing Kaladin here in some way. Um to like do this. We do see a little later, like that they they help to step in and help Kaladin sort of as much as they can. But I'm wondering if it's some could be a Bondsmith thing. But at least in my head, that's way more believable to me than Kellen is wielding Void Light. Yeah. And Void Light is obviously red, but it specifically says yellow red. And I don't know if that's a specific distinction or what that means, but I, I don't know. He's wielding the fourth shard's light. Your fourth shard theory. Unity. He's ripping someone apart with Unity's light. <laughs> yes, of course. 
The, the you know for there to be unity at some point there has to be not unity division so yeah all right down to navani let's catch up with navani real quick before we go to the top of the tower with kaladin navani is her her last gamble here the the shield goes down moash kills the the shield and Raboniel rushes into the room. Navani, or her Navani's guard also rushes into the room. So Navani grabs the dagger, is trying to sneak up on Raboniel. Raboniel, without even turning around, says, "You should run. I, I care enough to tell you that I don't want to fight you. You should, you should run." And Navani instead says well, what if we just went back to my room and talked about it? And if Moash comes back, then I will surrender to him. And if we can find something else to, uh, you know, to accord, then let's do that. And Ramoniel says, okay, sounds good. Gives her the knife, walks down the hall, zappity zap zap with the pain rail, steals the knife and stabs her with it. Doesn't quite have enough anti-void light to kill her, but it does seem to have severed her tie to her fusedom, fusedness. She cannot, she no longer hears Roshar. She cannot hear the rhythms anymore. Seems to be mortal now. It has done at least that much. I don't know if it's fully killed her, but she seems to be mortal. Also mortally wounded as the rest of the scene goes on. Throwing knife down the hall in Navani's side. And then um, th this is over the string of like four different chapters, by the way. It's very, very spread out. Moash is here to to kill Navani. Navani turns around, or before the knife comes, I should say, Raboniel says, here, take the book, end the war. Which I think is a, a very powerful comment here from raboniel raboniel and navani says wait you don't care who wins you just want it to end and raboniel says no i do care i want the singers to win but the second best option is for the humans to win the worst option is we keep going endlessly and both of us die with this knowledge i i just want if the singers can't win i want you to win I want you to kill all of the fused and end the war. I wasn't sure I followed all of that logic from Raboniel. Yeah. Which she's dying, I guess. So maybe she's not even logical anymore. But it seems like the assumption she's drawing is that to win the war one side has to either have Raboniel or Navani. Right. But there's also a reference, a mention, I don't remember if it's this chapter or previous, that Raboniel has already sent all of the information they've learned to Kolinar. Yeah. For other fuse to work on. And if Navani's book somehow could get to others, it seems very plausible that they could also work what she figured out right so i'm not sure quite sure that i buy that 
Navani needs to escape in order for the war to end. Either Rabonio should be confident in the knowledge she's given her people, and she would should want the book to be burned and Navani to die and for the singers to just run over everybody. So I I don't know. I, I, I see where she's going, and I think it is supposed to be a it's not a mercy act of quick escape while you can. It's more of a just pure pragmatism. I'll take whatever losses have to happen to end the war. But I'm not quite sure Rabonio's logic made full sense to me. I, I'm with you there. Now that you mentioned the book that's in Kolinar, we have had specific note that the original book is in Kolinar, likely setting up, you know, Rabonio's death, that they still have the access to this power, even though Rabonio's about to die. But I agree with you that by that logic, Raboniel should want Navani dead. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe that just pushes me back towards, maybe this is compassion. Right. On the side of Raboniel. Maybe that's her excuse for wanting Navaniel, Navaniel, blah, 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 Navani to live. And this truly is a hey, I felt a, a kinship with you throughout this. I don't want you to die. I don't know. And she uses her last gasps, last dying breaths to switch the dagger and attack Moash with it and suck out all of his stormlight. So Moash has a has Yezrian's blade. He is, with all intents and purposes, a windrunner without a spren and Raboniel as she dies stabs Moash with the anti or with the sucky dagger to suck out all of his mm -hmm. stormlight as opposed to the pushy mm -hmm. dagger yeah anyway mm -hmm. um, yeah, fair. so in this last scene Moash seems to be stormlightless and affected by the anti anti-void light song that Navani sings so she gets drowned out she's trying to find the rhythm of war and the, the rhythm of honor's pure tone to revive the sibling odium it i don't know if this is a direct thing but all she can hear is odium's rhythm so she starts singing odium's rhythm with the intent of anti-void light sucks out the void light in the pillar and it seems to affect Moash? Why does it affect Moash? He's he's not void light driven. He's stormlight driven, and he doesn't have it. So why would it affect Moash? I was thinking about this, and I'm wondering if it might have to do with Moash's, and I use this word hesitantly, connection to Odium. Yeah. I'm not. In, I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a capital C connection or if I'm just using it in a general term. But Moash has something going on with Odium. A lot of something. Is this perhaps like cutting that that connection? Did he did he lose signal with from the the Odium cell phone tower for a few minutes here? Does it kind of jam his his signal that he's got from coming from Odium? which causes him to freeze up 
and question things for a minute or two. That was kind of what I was wondering because I'm, I'm with where I think you were thinking at the beginning there. I don't think Moash is void light powered. He right. runs off of stormlight batteries or the, he runs off the honor blade that he's got. I'm not really sure though. I don't know. I'm kind of in this boat that, I mean, we, it feels like so much has been pointed out here of where is this person's power coming, actually coming from, right? We just talked about Kaladin, which I didn't even think would be a discussion we'd be having. And then Moash here, which he's more complicated and we knew that. So I'm not surprised, but I'm wondering if, and when we would find this out. You know, I, I don't know. It seems kind of odd that we're like wondering where everyone's power is coming from right now. Yeah. After I feel like so much has been spelled out recently, and then now it's like, wait, what? We still, I still don't get it. You know. Right. I, unless we get it spelled out for us, which, unless it's within the next, literally the next scene, I don't think it will be. Yeah. I am. I'm willing to resign myself to say that. Moash is fully drowning himself out of odium. Take my pain, take my pain, take my pain. That's all, that is all that's in his head. That once you start singing anti anti void light song, anti odium song, then that can jar him. I I would I would the pain subscribe to that. Right, like in a in a somewhat of a way. Yeah. And who knows? We might have just split at a wrong, at a bad chapter, and that's explained in the next sentence. We'll, yeah. we'll find out next week. But um, I I would be willing to say don't read too much into that, and that it's just anti void light song equals bad for Moash, and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Until we get to the iconic line when she's bonding the sibling. Journey before destination, you bastard. As such, uh, everybody, I, when we, the, when the entire fandom read this book over the weekend, that was on everybody's Twitter feeds for the end of the book. That everybody was like, you know, cheering at that line. Good line. And our, our cliffhanger here is tantalizing. Because that's where we leave it. Yes. That's that's literally the last letters we read on the page that we see of Navani and Moash here. So I now... I, this could go a couple ways, but one of which I kind of imagine is just like a beam of energy just like blasting out of Navani and just like pasting Moash to the wall or something like that to go along with that statement. But it doesn't say that. Mm -hmm. So I'm... I'm you know, very intrigued where you know the well, you know the tunnel system that goes down from the tower that comes through this room right and so like this room is kind of like a a level and then there's a down tunnel and then an up tunnel to the rest of the tower yep i imagine her like shooting him down the tunnel like and out to mm -hmm. you know to into the mountains that's that's how i imagine who knows that might not happen in the next chapter i don't remember yeah i will say so as as someone who's been listening to the audiobook this whole time, on an occasional week, sometimes I won't stop the audiobook in time, and I'll hear, like, two words uh -oh. of the next chapter. 
and I didn't do that here. I was just saying that this was such a big, like, kind of cliffhanger right at the end that I was like, oh, I cannot hear what happens next. Like, I can't have any any influence here. And so I was very, very deliberate when I heard it. I was like, okay, stop. Headphones off, like, you know, um, and stuff. But it it made me nervous because I was like, either we... I'm expecting a a jump. We're going to go look at someone else for a second because cliffhangers but i was like all right if it comes in right back to where we left off then uh i'm gonna find out something really quick so had to be diligent but before we move off of this i do want to go back and examine kind of the sequence of how this this happens of how navani speaks the the first ideal and becomes a bondsmith yo yeah Devani Bondsmith. It, it's a power couple. Yeah, I was going to say, Paul, you mentioned right? several several episodes ago about the Bondsmith power couple potential. Once she started talking to the siblings so much, I feel I feel like it was definitely an option. And that's... We mentioned before, also last episode, that our eyes were on Relaine for this. And yeah. I honestly still kind of wish it was Relaine. Me too. Through right. what's happened in this book... It makes sense that it's Navani. Like right. logically, I get it. It makes sense, and honestly, I could be happy with that. But I would have re- liked Relaine to be the Portsmouth. I think I did not want it to be Navani until I read this page. Yeah, right here, <clears throat> and this page convinced me that the way this goes down of <clears throat> Navani saying bond with me or we're all going to die. And the sibling is like, nope, you're not worthy. You capture Spren. You torture them. You experiment on them. I can't, I can't get happy with that. And Navani, like this is a moment for her because she also thinks that she's not worthy. We've been, we've been through that with her multiple times of where, Rabonial crushes her, basically. Well, Trust me, it's fine. It, Go ahead. This chapter also quotes Gavilar way back in the prologue. Everything unique about you came from someone else. That is a Gavilar mm. line. That I don't know if you caught that, but um, Kate Redding in the audiobook reads it in Gavilar's voice. And so it's way easier to catch of she hears Gavilar's voice from the prologue telling her how bad and how much of a fake she is. I didn't catch that. That makes this even better because you're right. That ties it back to the prologue of this book. Yep. That's been Navani's journey this whole time is, am I, am I worthy? Am I worth something? Am I contributing? Am I a good guy? Like that's, that's what Navani's been struggling and she's still been struggling with that. We, the, where we left her before, she was broken, like laying in on the floor of her cell, listening to Raboniel discover the anti-Stormlight tone and go off to go kill all the Radiants. And yet, in this moment, she stands up for herself and says, no, I am worthy. I am worthy because of everything that I've done. And more so what I've done, why I've done it. And she she brings up the phrase again, which was tied into more of the sciencey side of 
intent matters. Yep. That was important in the actual like science part of it. That was part of being able to create anti-void light. The intent, the intent had to be there. She couldn't get to the tone without intent, like capital I, intent. Which when I read capital I, intent, I immediately kind of jump, jump off of the literal definition of the, the word and start to think about, okay, this is now a magic system term right. for this world. And I start to try and figure out what that means. Here, it's capital I, intent again. But now it's kind of back to its literal meaning. Yep. She's she's dissecting everything that I've done, these experiments, discovering this this anti-light, which has gone off to now do not so great things, but she did it with the right intent of trying to discover new things to make the world better and to ultimately try and defeat evil. Odium. And that's when they start to, to sing the songs. And I thought this was re really, really cool because there is no other human that we know of on the entire planet who could do what Navani is about to do. Yeah. Who, who has gone on a journey that allows her to be able to sing a song that most humans can't even appreciate the nuances of. They can't even hear the differences in what she's doing. But because she studied so hard, she can do this. She can sing like a singer does and connect the sibling back to the rhythm of the rhythm of honor and the rhythm of cultivation and create the rhythm of the tower no other no other person could do that and here is navani who's maybe done some questionable stuff and maybe failed at a lot of things but here she is Connecting the sibling back to this life light. Nope. Tower light. Tower light. So I'm getting all confused now. Yes. The the life sibling light is uh the sibling can successfully hear tower light. Or sorry, life right. light. Wait, I'm doing it too. The the, mm -hmm. the sibling can successfully hear life light because that is cultivation, and as far as we know, cultivation is alive and well and the mother of the sibling. What she cannot hear is honor. And that this is where we bring back our quote from part four that Navani was not even present for, where she says, honor is not dead so long as he lives in the hearts of his children. And I will represent honor for you because I am honorable, I am worthy. And begins to sing honor's pure tone as the sibling sings cultivation's tone creating tower light exactly and i thought this was really cool a and a, a redemption moment for navani she's been questioning am i doing the right things this is a moment of justification and i don't even know the right word for it entering into her purpose yeah as a player in this world I thought it was super cool. I'll I'll get off my my monologue here because I've been talking too much, but I thought it was fantastic. I think that was a really good monologue, honestly, Elliot. And, and I think you did an excellent job of showcasing a lot of the journey that Navani has gone on. I would even say that she hasn't. You know, I feel like our other characters have these really dark pasts. Um, 
and Navani has had her her share of struggles and things. And honestly, I had forgotten about the prologue when you brought it up. I remember that part of of Gavilar saying like. Basically, you're just pieces of things you've copied from others. Like, you're not a real... What is it? You're not a real scientist or whatever. Um, yeah. He says, uh, I remember that, but I didn't, like... I remember that that was the dialogue. Like, that's the conversation that happened. But I'd forgotten about the, the prologue. And it makes way more sense as to why we would see it now. I was almost a little confused when we read it of... Why are we seeing this? We saw a bunch of stuff in there. Um but I like the full circle moment that we have in Navani and fleshing her character out. I now understand when people had her hire as well on their um Yep. Uh <clears throat> character lists. Um and I th- honestly think what makes me like her the most is how Elliot put it of the research into the songs and how she's the only human on this earth that we know of that could do this, that could um, that's taken the time and done the work to sing like a singer does, um, and to unite these tones. And I think that is super epic. I think that is awesome. Um, so shout out to Navani, higher on my list than Teft. She just climbed a few on mine too. Really cool. She climbed a few <laughs> she, on mine too. I don't. She was already higher than Teft, but she's still there. I don't remember a lot of these powerful moments from rhythm of war because i sped through it so fast and then i deliberately didn't let myself process it because we were in the middle of words of radiance and so acronym spelling aside because people confuse rhythm of war and words of radiance anyway um i know i did way back oh. then i was kept Every accidentally time. saying rhythm of war for rhythm of radiance or whatever i said but mm-hmm. i deliberately shelved this and i was like I will think about it later. And now is later, and I really do appreciate Navani and her journey here. Alright. Now. For the crying chapter. At least for me. Chapter 107. Kaladin has gone off the edge. Not literally yet, but he's 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 headed that way. Um he's snapped. Snaps the pursuer's head in half, and one of the heavenly ones, I think, is holding Lyrin because that that was their job. Just, you know, if Kaladin doesn't snap, kill Lyrin, and then he will. And Kaladin turns to go save Lyrin. The fused freaks out and shoots up the tower. Just flies away with Lyrin, and. Kaladin gives chase, and we get this one finally from Kaladin's point of view, and it's very fragmented. Cal- Kaladin's like in a in a blur. Sills rambling, random words. Sills breaking as well here, and there's some dark sentences here where there's a singer, just a normal singer, who tries to stop Kaladin, like tries to block Kaladin's path, and he and it says he left that singer broken and dying like does not describe the scene at all but i just imagine him you know lashing that singer into as well this is like as far as the grand scheme of 
the war goes, Kaladin would never fight this singer. The normal Kaladin would never would spare this singer because he is just a normal singer, not a fused. He snaps this guy in half and keeps going. And we get to the top of the tower. The Heavenly One freaks out, throws Liren off the tower. Um, because the high storm is here and it's like right even with the tower. Excuse me. <laughs> right, thank you. Right even with the tower. Throws him into the, the storm and Kaladin jumps in after him with zero intent. He he is not going to save his father. He is going to join his father. This time he jumped is the words and this is the end of a chapter. Which leads into uh, 107 and... The Stormfather, this is what I was trying to talk about last episode accidentally, the Stormfather manifests himself to Dalinar and says, we've got a problem. The son of Tanavast has taken to the storm for the last time, is what he tells him. And so Dalinar and the Stormfather do their little party trick of manifesting as the storm. And they go, they, they, they try option one. What's option one? Well, Dalinar wants to do what he did before, which was Kaladin stuck outside in a high storm. I'm going to be the storm, reach out and scoop him up and save him. Yep, mm -hmm. that's option one. And but the Stormfather's like, eh, not yep. going to happen. It hurts the Stormfather, so he doesn't allow him. What's option two? The option two is the place between moments. The mm -hmm. the segment where all of the stormlight spheres get infused. This is this is a little nerdy here definition. It's where the physical, the cognitive, and the spiritual realm all clap together at once. It's essentially a perpendicularity of sorts, you could kind of say. And it's it freezes time, slow it greatly corrects the Stormfather, and the Stormfather confronts Kaladin and challenges him with a couple good quotes. I would like to read it. Give me one second. It's on 1135 of my book. I didn't realize that's what our page count was up to, by the way. Yes. As a book listener, um, I didn't realize we had read so much. Oh my goodness. The Stormfather freezes time for Kaladin and says, Why won't you say the words? The Stormfather asked. I've forgotten them, Kaladin whispered. You have not. Will they mean anything if I don't feel them, Stormfather? Can I lie to swear an ideal? Silence. Pure incriminating silence. He wants me. As he wanted Moash, Kaladin said. If he keeps pushing, he'll have me. So I have to go. That is a lie, the Stormfather said. It is his ultimate lie, son of honor. The lie that says you have no choice. The lie that there is no more journey worth taking. He was right. A tiny part of Kaladin, a part that could not lie to himself, knew it to be true. 
What if I'm too tired? Kaladin whispered. What if there's nothing left to give? What if that is why I cannot say your words, Stormfather? What if it's just too much? You would consign my daughter to misery again? Kaladin winced, but that was true too. Could he do that to Syl? That's option two. Storm, the Stormfather confronts Kaladin. You don't... You're claiming you forget my forget the words, but you know them. Even if you don't believe them yet. And then he tries to guilt trip him with the Sill line again. Why... you? If you surrender like this, you consign my, you consign Sill to to misery, and that doesn't work. It's enough to get him to try, which is big, because this whole moment, this whole leap from the top of the tower, is being very intentionally compared. All the way back, back is that way, all the way back to the way of kings, the honor chasm. You, your mirror that was the correct way the first time. Keep going. Yeah, you're right. I was, I was forget about that. Honor chasm. Mm-hmm. Honor chasm, where Kaladin stands on the chasm after un- realizing what he's gotten into with the bridge crew and toys with, do I end it all? And and what is it that saves him? Sill. It's Sill, right? It's Sill. Yep. And so this moment is another step off the brink moment. And he's done that. He's he's stepped off the, the edge. And Sill is enough to make him try. It says right here, he gritted his teeth as he began to struggle. But but it's not enough. It's not quite enough to bring him to what he can't say, which comes later. And then the Stormfather and Dalinar have another debate, and Dalinar is saying option two has not worked. And the Stormfather says, honor his frailty. We must witness, and we're just going to sit here and watch. And Dalinar says, well, choose better then. And finds a connection. There's a couple. They have a couple dialogue back and forth of how connection with capital C works. Mm-hmm. And it's like it has to be meaningful. And then Dalinar says, good. I will connect him. And then the Stormfather says, with what? In the epic Michael Kramer voice. Yes. Uh-huh. And then chapter ends. Um, which leads me to 108, which is the chapter that I sob like a baby every time. Not every time. The the first time. And today. And today. Yes. Uh-huh. It, I choked up today on it. Today was a crying day. I don't know what it was. Okay. Any, any questions about capital C connect before we talk about 108? What exactly is happening here? Is this? I've assumed this is kind of a bondsmith power. He connects people, or or this is like what happens whenever people jump into visions, get placed into visions as they're being connected. Vision, is my guess. I'm glad you brought up visions, Elliot. 
my definition of of connection changed a little when I read this chapter. Going into this chapter, connection for me was a link between any two people or beings. Yep. And we haven't quite gotten a, you know, scientific breakdown of here's exactly what connection is, but we've gotten a lot of examples. We know that the heralds share connections. We know that Moash and Kaladin share a connection. We know that Dalinar and I think Kaladin connection. We know that Dalinar can see these connections. We know that he can manipulate these connections in certain ways. But similar to how intent kind of got reevaluated for me with Navani, I'm now rethinking my thoughts on connection here, but I'll let you keep going. I will come back to... No, I'll, I'll talk about it now. Did you guys... I mean, there's a couple oddities in this chapter, but did you, get, did you guys notice something strange about Tien halfway through this chapter? Well, I don't know if Paul has any thoughts, but I, I struggled a little bit in that I'm trying to decide whether this is actually Tien or if this is Dalinar speaking through Tien. Yes. And which... Kaladin asks that distinctly. He distinctly says to Tien, is this really you? Or is this some manipulation by the Stormfather or Hoyd or someone else? And he doesn't get an answer. But the distinction I'm trying to make here and trying to fish for you is Tien, halfway through the vision, Tien, everything fades and it's just him and Tien. And Tien appears fully grown, which would imply that this is current day, 18-year-old, 19-year-old Tien. That is how I'm interpreting it, which <clears throat> capital C connection, he's, he's connecting him to modern day Tien, even if he's dead, not some, not, not a vision, basically. Mm-hmm. That is my interpretation of it. Did you guys? Yeah, like Tien as he would have been. Right. Well, that's the that's the rub, though. Is it Tien as he would have been, or is it Tien now? Some sort of you know soul fragment of Tien that Kaladin yeah. can connect to somehow. His cognitive shadow. Yes. Or something. Okay. I can't talk about this yet. But I promise next two weeks from now, I can talk about this. I have waited so long to talk about this. Okay. Um, TN, I believe this is at least a TN cognitive shadow. That this is a TN. I, I think TN was invested when he died and became a cognitive shadow. And I will get into specifics of how and why and evidence that I have, uh, I cannot wait. Two two weeks from two weeks from now, I can go on this huge soapbox and blow your guys' mind, and it will be great. And I cannot wait. And I've waited. I don't know how how long has Rhythm of War been out? Two years. I've waited two years to talk about this with you guys, and I can finally talk about it in two weeks. Sorry. 
I think this is current cognitive TN alive sort of um and not a not a vision. This is not a vision. I'm I'm very excited for that discussion because you have me very intrigued. I almost have to like not get my my hopes up for your discussion because I don't know if I can handle that emotionally, that possibility. But that that definitely flips this chapter completely on its head for me because my conclusion at the end of this, I took that silence, that non-response from Tien to be, no, I'm not actually Tien. I'm Dalinar doing a honor and speaking to you through someone you have a memory of. And and something that would, yes, and something that would feed into that line of thinking is how does Tien respond? He, it's not silence. It He just says something else. Yeah, he, he smiles and then he moves on to the, the wooden horse. The wooden horse. It's important. He gives him the wooden horse that Kaladin has since lost. And he says, try to keep track of him this time, Cal. And he vanishes along with the wooden horse. He does not actually give him a physical wooden horse. The wooden horse also vanishes. So that would Im- that would imply more of the this is a vision, not real. Right? Like, he doesn't physically get a wooden horse. Right, Kaladin doesn't leave the vision with a wooden horse. Right. Yeah. Right. That... That conclusion that that this is Dalinar for me also made this scene a little bit less emotional for me. And it didn't for if, me. <laughs> if, I, I I can see that, but but if if you're going to convince me at the end of the book here that this is actually Tien, I'm then going to go back and and be way more emotional in this scene than I am now because I'm kind of reading this all as, oh man, this is really touching, this is really powerful, this is really cool, but it's also just Dalinar inspiring Kaladin. Absolutely. Yep. So if, if you change my mind, I'm going to completely think about this chapter differently, which is why I'm excited, but kind of scared to have that discussion. I do want to talk about the, the emotional part of it and how Kaladin, what real, what Kaladin really takes out of this into chapter one, one Oh nine and one ten. Um, and I'm going to read, hold on. I have it in my secret notes so that you guys aren't spoiled on it ahead of time. He's got secret notes this whole time. I've told you about them before. That's true. <clears throat> so he knows not what to say. What what not to say. Okay. This is This is basically a page. Uh so give me like a minute to read. Kaladin cringed, anticipating the death. But all went dark. The forest, the tent, the figures all vanished. Except for Tien. Kaladin fell to his knees. Then Tien, poor little Tien, wrapped his arms around Kaladin and held him. It's all right. I'm here, too, to help you feel brave. I'm not the child you see, Kaladin whispered. I know who you are, Cal. Kaladin looked up to his brother, who somehow, in that moment, was full-grown, and Kaladin was a child clinging to him, holding to him as the tears started to fall. As he let himself weep, 
at Teft's death. This is wrong, Caledon said. I'm supposed to hold you, protect you, and you did, as I helped you. He pulled Caledon tight. Why do we fight, Cal? Why do we keep going? I don't know, Caledon whispered. I've forgotten. It's so that we can be with each other. They all die, Tien. Everyone dies. And so they do, don't they? That means it doesn't matter, Caledon said. None of it matters. See, that's the wrong way of looking at it, Tien held him tighter. Since we all go to the same place in the end, the moments we spent with each other are the only things that do matter. The times we helped each other. Look at it, Cal, Tien said softly. See the colors. If you think letting T Teft die is a failure, but all the times you supported him are meaningless, no wonder it always hurts. Instead, you were... If you think of how lucky you both were to be able to help each other when you were together, well, it looks a lot nicer, doesn't it? I'm not strong enough, Cal whispered. You're strong enough for me. I'm not good enough. You are good enough for me. I wasn't there. Tian smiled. You are here for me, Cal. You are here for all of us. And if I fail again, Kaladin said, you can't, so long as you understand. Teft believes in you. The enemy thinks he's won. But I want to be there to see his face when he realizes the truth, don't you? It's going to be delightful. If he kills us, he simply dropped us off at a place we were going anyway. We shouldn't hasten it, and it is sad. But see, he can't take our moments, our connection, Kaladin, and those are the things that really matter. I want to go back to the Way of Kings and read this scene the way we originally receive it, which is in the Sanderlanch. We don't understand. We we don't get the full scene of Tien's death until Kaladin is rushing a bridge, right, to save to save Dalinar. Kaladin's brother fell just like that. One eye blink, and he was standing there, looking terrified. The next. He was on the ground. No, Kaladin screamed. He tried to get to his feet, but slipped to his knees. His leg didn't work right. Kaladin didn't care. He finally reached the spot. There he found three three corpses, young, small, lying in, a, in the hollow. Horrified, numb, Kaladin reached out his hand and rolled over the one that was facing down. Tien's dead eyes stared upward. Kaladin continued to kneel beside the body, he should have bound his wound, should have moved back to safety, but he was too numb. He just knelt. I should feel anger, Kaladin thought. I should feel something. Kaladin looked down. Why couldn't I protect him? Looking at Tien, remembering his brother's laugh, his innocence, his smile, his excitement exploring the hills outside Hearthstone. Please. Please let me protect him. Make me strong enough. He felt so weak. Blood loss. He found himself slumping to the side, and with tired hands he tied off his wound, and then feeling terribly vacant inside, he lay down beside Tien and pulled the body close. 
Don't worry, Kaladin whispered. When had he started to cry? I'll bring you home. I'll protect you, Tien. I'll bring you back. He held the body into the evening, long past the end of the battle, clinging to it as it slowly grew cold. What's that last piece of dialogue from Kaladin? I'll bring you back. I'll bring you back. Okay? There's a... There's a disbelief uh, and shock of Kaladin on on this on this death, obviously, and he, he still has he's still lying to himself that let me be strong enough because he has not set his fourth ideal here, obviously, and um, it's not till the rhythm of war scene that we just read in one hundred eight that he finally lets himself emotionally release Tien. He has carried him with him this entire time. And back in the Way of Kings, it says he feels nothing. He he should feel angry or, or anything. He feels nothing. And here, he finally lets himself, as the, as the tears started to fall, he finally lets himself properly grieve and properly release Tien, which leads to his fourth ideal that I accept that there are those that I cannot protect. Which, we're skipping a little bit, but it ties right in here. 110, he saves his father, right? And what happens, like right as the, the chapter ends, what happens at the end of 110? Um, don't him sure and his either. dad like set out to set out to kind of save the city? They do. And but right before that, what is yes, there you go, Elliot. Mm. There's like three things that happen. So I wasn't sure which one you're referring to. But I think what you're trying to get at is his brands. His brands. On his forehead. They and this is like the last thing that happens they they heal and they like flake off yep. and they're gone which i highlighted I, I i double highlighted this because we've seen this not work we've had this past. conversation before right yeah and you guys asked why is this why is this this was this was way back the first three chapters of words of radiance where they get in the bridge four tattoos and it's not working on kaladin and then Stormlight's not healing his brands. We, we've we've gotten this several times, and it's finally spelled out for us here. Go ahead. Is this... Or did you have something on it? Nope. Oh, sorry. Um, is this... Is this one of those moments where it's not necessarily because of a power that Kaladin has... But it's because of a belief Kaladin has, like Correct. we've seen with um, Spren, right? And, and yeah, stuff like that. we've and had the discussion before of is he still branded because he believes he is, right? Um, that and, yes, exactly. And that this goes back to what does Stormlight heal? If you see yourself as 
a certain way. It's not going to heal you. It's going to heal you to what you view yourself as fully functional. And so Lopin, for example, does not view himself as one-armed. He views himself as, you know, fully functioning person, and he heals to that once he gets Stormlight. And so now that Kaladin has finally released himself of the burden of Tien's death and to carry those brands that he deserves those brands for Tien's death, they finally heal at the end of book four. Because our other example of that was Rissen, right? Yep. The question was, why doesn't Stormlight heal her paralysis? Right. And it was... That that was where we tied that into the discussion of, well, it was kind of, I think it was kind of open question, does she still see herself as a cripple? And therefore, the Stormlight cannot heal her. So yeah, the, the implications of this moment with Kaladin is it's even more powerful than it was already which is how does he see himself right which i thought mirrored fantastically teft's death not just not just the fact that teft's death plays into all of this with Kaladin and along with tian's death but the way teft dies and the forgiveness of himself I see that here in Kaladin as well. This is another forgiveness of himself moment. Basically yeah. what Teft was able to achieve moments ago, Kaladin is now achieving also, which is the, I can accept what has happened, forgive myself and move on. Yeah. But we didn't even mention the, the oath itself, which <laughs> I, have a, I have a whole nother side bunny trail for you guys there when we're ready to go back to that. I think we're ready for it. I'm, I'm excited for that. What, what's the oath, Paul? Um, it is. <clears throat> it's more of an acceptance. It's like I accept that there are those that I cannot protect or cannot save. Yes. Um, and my paraphrasing of it. And before you get off into your little bunny trail here. What are what are the, the next couple lines of the book? Do you guys remember? Is he remembering who he wasn't able to save? No. I don't remember for sure. These words are accepted, right? But who mm-hmm. says it? Wasn't it the Stormfather? Ah, it deliberately says, it deliberately says, not the Stormfather. So who is accepting Kaladin's oaths? Ah. Who is accepting Kaladin's oaths? It's Tanavast. Let's go. Exciting. I don't know who is... Well, Tanavast is supposed to be dead, right? Oh, it's the Voidspren. Yes, yeah. you're right. It's the Voidspren yeah, in Kaladin's jump heart. The Voidspren is like, you're right. Don't save anyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, yeah. you, you, missed, you missed part of the clues, too, even. I, I, I can read it because it's right in front of me. He heard Syl gasp and a familiar voice, not the Stormfather's. These words are accepted. Now, I'm really angry that we're in Kaladin's head, so we should also get to know whose Who voice it is. this is, because it seems like Kaladin recognizes yeah. it, a familiar uh-huh. voice. Maybe he doesn't fully recognize it, but 
familiar Tien, voice. Is Tien a honor spren now? Or is it or is it Lirin? Or is it the whole I don't, I don't uh know. Kaladin Kaladin's whole family do are all Spren and he's bonded them all. Do you remember who's accepting Venley's? We we get a feminine voice. Specifically says feminine voice accepting Venley's um or I guess rejecting. We've only seen reject or accepting and rejecting. Um Venley's Venley's journey. And so it's not the Stormfather, but the Stormfather has accepted um Dalinar's, right? Mm-hmm. And Pattern is the one accepting uh Shallan's. Right? Am I right there? I think I'm right. I think so. I think so. The narrator I... is accepting Kaladin's words. These words are it gets over the intercom. These words yeah. are accepted. Mm-hmm. And I think our theory on Venley was that perhaps it was cultivation, right? Directly, perhaps, perhaps. So this is our fourth shard, or it's it's one of our three shards. Somehow, it's Honor himself, right? Yeah, we we know. And we've spun theories on this before. Honor is dead. Honor is broken. Whatever. We know that death for a spren or a being that's not a human can mean different things. And so maybe this is honor in whatever state or plane of being or wherever honor is. This being that powerful that it pierces directly to honor and honor is accepting. I think it's that. I can't imagine anything else. I'd imagine that as well. But that that wasn't even my bunny trail. My bunny trail. Right before the bunny trail. Sorry. Sorry. I already did one of those. Yeah. uh, I just wanted to say that I really liked this uh, ideal or whatever they're called. Yeah. Um. I really liked it because we we'd been guessing like who who is he protecting this time? We've seen I will protect those who can't protect themselves, and I will protect those even those that I hate. That was the other one, yep. right? Yep. So we're like, who is he protecting this time? And I like that this seems more like a step in maturity, right? Not a step in like more people I need to save, right? Um, but like an accepting a realization that you can't do it all. So I appreciated that. And that, that ties directly into where I'm going. I, I've struggled, like spent hours, met many, many showers trying to have that lightning bolt thought of what is the ideal that Kaladin couldn't say at the end of Oathbringer, which is 1,200 pages ago now. Mm-hmm. 1,200 pages ago, we had a moment where Kaladin is in Shadesmar with Adolin and Shallan. Yep. I think just those two. And they're trying to get back to Dalinar and the rest of the army to save them. And we get to the moment where he's supposed to say this ideal and he can't do it. 
And I've agonized for like six months now. What in the world could be this ideal that he knows? He knows it and he can't bring himself to say it. And I I'd almost gotten to the point where I was like, it's going to be really dumb. It's going to be something I really don't like because it's going to be something stupid. And yet it's the instant I read this, it was just a huge, oh, moment. Because this makes perfect sense. Perfect sense. I had to go back and look it up and refresh myself on exactly what was happening. But if you go back to that scene in Oathbringer, where Kaladin knows the words, he knows these words right here, but he won't say them because Adolin is on the ground in front of him, bleeding to death. Yep. And Kaladin knows that if he says this, it means letting Adolin die right there in front of him. And that's why he can't say it. That's why he's gone this whole time knowing what this ideal is and refusing to say it because that's what Kellen is all about is protecting people, saving people. That's what he does from day one. That was his whole journey in way of Kings was join the bridge, realize that, no, I'm going to stand up and save these people. And so Paul, you're absolutely right. This is a, a huge step in maturity for him of I'm all about saving people but I have to realize that sometimes I can't. But in that moment, at the end of Oathbringer, he wasn't willing to. Perhaps rightly so. Perhaps that was the right thing for him to do, not let Adolin die. Maybe it wasn't the right moment. But it, just, it all hit me as a, like a lightning bolt. The moment I read that sentence was like, duh, that's exactly what it is. And it makes perfect sense. So I didn't have to get angry at Brandon because it was actually masterful and not frustrating. So well done. Well done, Mr. Sanderson. I think it's funny that you were fully expecting to be upset at him for it. That's I couldn't think of anything. I was stumped. I was, I was, it was gonna be something dumb that I was gonna have to get mad about. I was like, wow, well, that's when Caledon would definitely been able to say that. It's not, it's beautiful. It's mm -hmm. it makes perfect symmetry from start to finish. It's it was awesome. Did we miss anything? Oh, I'm sure we missed something. There was so much in here. Oh, but not Relaine, Relaine, Relaine. We do need to highlight Relaine. Um, he walks into the Civil War, and he thinks to himself, "All right, someone's got to do it. I'm gonna do it. Channel my inner Teft for Teft. Here we go. All right, everybody, listen up. I'm in charge now. You're gonna do this, this, and this, and this, and this, and because I said so." And they're all like, "Okay." I guess we're doing that. So Leshwi has led her full rebellion and and then Leshwi's kind of trying to back out of it and saying like, well, hold on. We need to go explain this to Raboniel or else she'll think I'm in rebellion. And Relaine walks up and says, oh, you guys are absolutely in rebellion. Just commit. It's, that's, it's fine. I've been in rebellion for years. Just trust me on this. You'll be fine. Get behind me. We're going to go out to the plateau and start the Oathgate with the sword we don't have. Um, so uh, that, that was a really good Relaine moment. The it, I am a little sad that he's not our Bondsmith. 
It's potentially could be our third, but I don't know how much he has to do with the Night Watcher, though. I was glad Relaine got a moment. And I thought it was a really cool moment too. I actually wrote in my notes the word connection associated with this too, because who of all people could do this, could get both sides to listen to them? Well, it's Relaine because he has a connection, perhaps lowercase connection, with mm -hmm. both sides. He has that rapport with the humans from Bridge Four, and a lot of them know him and even trust him. But then he's also a singer. And he has that immediate recognition with all of them as well. So who, who can stand in the middle of the standoff and get both sides to listen? It's Relaine. Maybe Venley, but much mm -hmm. more Relaine. Right. I also appreciate actually counteracting the whole it would be super cool if he was a Bondsmith thing. If he became a Bondsmith in our story... It would have been something that is still like pretty thrust upon him. People would have been like, "Oh my goodness, Relaine, you have to, you, you need to bond the sibling and save everyone by becoming a bondsmith because the sibling will bond with you." Um, and he'd be like, "Um, okay." Um, and I almost think of how our fused are at least some of them. I, I mean, it's. This isn't direct, but it almost feels like they're kind of forced to bond to Spren, too. Uh, or, or there's a lot of, like, weirdness going on with that. So I kind of like that we have something that he has stepped into um, that's, like, growth for him that he is, like, choosing to step into. Um, I think is really, really good. Not just someone coming and being like, this is what we need you to do right now. Yeah. It also leaves some blank pages. I feel like Relaine's story is not done. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a step and that we could still see this go a number of different ways with Relaine. Maybe Relaine is still going to get an even more epic moment like we've seen people like Caladan and, and Navani have. So I completely agree with you, Paul. That, that is very cool to watch him make a choice in this moment. Mm. My My prediction... For, I feel like we have to see him bond to sprint because we've seen where he was a sprint didn't want to bond with him, so therefore I think he he should get a sprint at some point by default. Um, yeah, yes. Um, but I was trying to think what would be cool. I think it would be cool if he was a dust bringer. Ooh, because um, one we don't really have a prominent dust bringer on our. Good. I mean, we have like they, the herald of them, right? But um, no, they also get a bad rap. Sense. They do. I was gonna say. I think so. They have division as one of their surges, right? And we yep. know this is like destruction and stuff. And I feel like Relaine has a perspective on the like uh, social concept of division, of like being different um, and being divided from people he's with, but. He's very calm and cool and, like, kind of a sweetheart. And so I think he would bring a great name to the Dustbringers. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. All right, gentlemen. Take uh, 
outline podcast hat off and improvising podcast hat on. This podcast is built upon you guys speculating and us laughing at you. And there is really only two more episodes where that will be feasible for Stormlight. I know that will be feasible for, for Mistborn and other things we read. But for Stormlight, we're anticipating that we will be reading it along with, probably slower than everybody else, but along with the release. Like, it'll release and we'll jump right into it. Um, so, for the end of this book, stuff that we can confirm in our spoiler channel and laugh at you. What is happening before the end of this book? You have eight chapters and a prologue and an epilogue. What is happening by the end of the book? And what is not happening by the end of the book? Oh, um, a prediction right out of the gate. So we end with Navani having just bonded and becoming a bondsmith. Okay. I think we will see that her bondsmith powers are different from Dalinar's. So, like, okay. the same okay. ideas, but since she's with the sibling, I bet there's going to be nuances or different things that we will see. Um, Do you think her music ties into her powers? That would be awesome. I would love. I didn't think of that, but that would be incredible. I would love that so much. Um that would be so sick. Uh, I, I hadn't thought about that, but maybe so. That might be a part of it. Or, like, being able to hear the rhythms or, like, tying into specifically that side of things. Yeah. Um, we might learn more about the powers of tower light or other lights through that. Um, and then... Will Dalinar know? I feel like Dalinar would find out that his wife is now also a bondsmith and just be like, uh, honey, when are you going to tell me? Like, <laughs> we have a little bit to catch up on, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but that's my first prediction of what we might what we might see. Is Dalinar showing back up at the tower before the end of the book? Do, do we get Navani, Dalinar, Smoochie time before the before the epilogue? I'll, I'll throw out my prediction. No. I think we're going to end with Dalinar meeting Ishar. And we get a bomb it's dropped like, on us, and then it's like... Yes. He can yes. do what? And that's the end of the book? Exactly. Okay, yeah. Yes, that's exactly where I'm going. We've drawn that meeting out for a long time now. Yeah. For 400 pages or something of Dalinar's mentioned, oh, yeah, I should go talk to him. Oh, yeah, I should go talk with him. Yeah, let, let's head that way. Okay, yeah, we're getting closer. Oh, now we've seen him. All right, let's fly there. Okay. I think he gets there at the very end, and something is completely unexpected yeah. with Ishar. Probably in a bad way. And we know that the Heralds are all crazy, right? Right. So Ishar is going to be crazy in his own way. But I think it's going to be in a way that throws down our th throws a wrench into things. I I'm not creative enough to come up with what that might be. That's why Brandon's the author and, and I'm not, but the, I think we're going to get there and it's going to, and he's going to meet with Ishar. We're expecting him to be crazy. He's going to be crazy. And then yes, he's going to drop a bomb and we're going to close the book with a, and what now? Cause I feel like things have are wrapping up here 
and yet there's still a hundred pages left in this book. So, yeah, I, I think I agree with you on that, Elliot. So we know our heralds have looked up to Ishar as like the wisest of them. So, and they're a little bit scuffed themselves. So it makes me think that maybe he is the wisest, but also, yeah, maybe also maybe the most wrong, the most evil. It could be. I still have actually faith, and what I want to see is that Ishar is sane and very helpful and useful, uh, because none of our heralds have been. <laughs> um, but I, I feel like that's not actually likely. So, um, I. Are we gonna? Where's Adolin right now? Are we gonna see him before the book ends? Or is that kind of concluded? That is pretty much concluded. We left Adolin with. I've exempted the humans from the blame of the recreants. We left Shalon with. I should go talk with my spren. I think. I think we've wrapped on the Odium Shalon. Nope, sorry. We've wrapped on... Odium? Names. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we, we've wrapped on the Adolin and Shalon plot lines. Okay. We, we, they might, we might get another POV from them or something before the end, but I think general storyline-wise, we've, we've closed that chapter yeah. of them. I, especially I, with Shalon. I, so I, feel, I feel like we had a very satisfying curtain close on this scene of Shalon's story. I, I don't think I don't think that's going to get opened up again. I don't remember if this happens or not. This is a genuine. I wonder. I wonder if they just show back up at the sure at Eurythiru and they're like, "What, what happened?" happened? <laughs> like, the, yep, we came back just in time for nothing to have happened. What I do think we're going to get is an odium tantrum scene. Ooh, I think we're going to get another odium scene. Either with Teravangian, or perhaps directly with Dalinar again, we where he... We haven't seen Odium this entire book, by the way. The last time we saw Odium, he was running away from Dalinar. I, I have the Terev- say, I'll let you finish. But... In the last book? What? Are all the Teravangian Odium scenes in the last book? I thought we had a interlude. I guess that is back in the last one but i thought no it's in, it's in it's in oathbringer it's at the it's like literally the very end yeah the ending end okay so regardless so that's when he sees renarin is a clouded thing he's uh, yeah. clouded to odium's vision and so um, regardless i do think we're going to see odium again before the I end of this so book too. i think he's going to be pissed and he's going to throw a tantrum. And maybe there's another wrench that kind of gets thrown in things where, where he comes in and says, you know, I'm changing the, the agreement or I'm changing the, the, the rules of the game. And surprise, here's this. I have altered the deal. Pray I do yes. not alter it further. Exactly. Sorry, James exactly. Earl Jones. That's my, best, that's my best shot at Darth Vader. <laughs> um, that's pretty good. Well done, Trevor. Um, I, I was thinking a similar thing, Elliot. I was thinking we are going to see ODM. I think the big bomb drop, this might be tied somehow to meeting with Ishar. If so, that'd be pretty cool. And I think ODM is going to appear. I think ODM is going to schedule the Contest of Champions. Okay. 
I think they're gonna. I don't know. They have a save it, save the date. I don't know. They're gonna send out your uh, e cards. Yeah, send out invitations. And so I think I think it's going to appear in a way that it's like Dalinar is finally getting to set up his contest of champions or schedule it or something, make it an, a thing, a guaranteed thing. But we know Odium has, there's more than meets the eye. We know that there's something right. that Odium is going to do to, to make it Im- impossible for him. Right. It, it, that's, that's kind of what I'm hoping to see. I'm a little bit doubtful that that will happen, but I, I'm going to make that my prediction because I think that would be quite a bombshell to drop. Do we think anyone else is going to die? Uh, unless you, you may have had more to add to that. Um, no, I didn't. I was going to ask that question, question, but I felt like it was feeding you a rope that I should, probably shouldn't be feeding you. So uh-huh. I wasn't going to ask it. But now that you've asked it, yeah, Elliot, do you think anyone's going to die? No. Just because no one ever does. This is true. This is true. No one really dies, and it's kind of been one of my complaints with Tef dying. Um, was it was a very notable death. Um, I will say the sneakiest time for a death that you're not expecting is right after another death right after that you death. feel is impactful. Right. So that could very well be. And Lyft right now is like entirely incapacitated, so she could die. If who knows? If I don't we, think she'll we, die. But if we are going to get a death. I could see it being another Sadius type death. Okay. Where it's like, and Teravangian has a heart attack and dies. End of book. Or something like that. Yeah, what if Zeth stabs Teravangian in an alleyway or something? Which I don't think he would. (laughs) Finally loses it and just gets off him. I don't think we'll have another major character break your emotions death. I, I don't think so but i could see another kind of surprise minor ish character dead Mm -hmm. fair i asked you guys i've asked you multiple times if mr t is safe from from death in this book and both of you were fairly convinced that teravangian was making out of this book alive he is safe from death from zeth if someone else bait busts in there and kills him uh, that happens okay or, or maybe he's a casualty of of my odium tantrum, right? Okay. Yeah, maybe, I thought about that. What if odium throws a tantrum and Teravangian doesn't him. make it? Yeah, odium that. catches on to him. He's told Zeth the kind of quote important information, right? Of he sees the sword and he freaks out and he's like, Zeth, you have to use this sword. Odium doesn't know about the sword and and like freaks out about it. So. Well, for we like, don't need them for anything else, kind of, sort of. For so like could three, die. or f- even maybe even four interludes in a row, we've had the Teravangian and Zeth, like, you gotta be in the same room. How do I get him in the same room of Odium? How do we get the sword? Like, we, we, we've had that build up, like, three or four times um, in this book, so. What, one more crazy theory for y'all to go laugh at us about. Are all of the epilogues wit chapters yes i think i thought they were mm. going back so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna theorize on that real quick i think we will he, get another wit he is in epilogue. your point he's on your point of view page at the beginning of part five. Oh yeah could have looked at that i think we get a wit chapter epilogue hoid i think 
Hoyd is going to do something nefarious in that chapter. Ooh, okay. So far, Hoyd has been fairly solidly up on a pedestal. Like, like honestly, of most of the characters out there, he's the one that you trust. Like, when he says something, you listen. You right. don't doubt it. He He has repeatedly lifted our characters up out of the gutter or from dark places and shown a light on their story, which has been awesome. That's not super consistent with Brandon Sanderson's writing. He doesn't write, from what I've experienced so far, characters like that. Characters always have a dark side and a struggle and something. And we got a brief, brief, brief glimpse at what Hoyd's might be in this book. And that was in a discussion with Yasna where where Hoyd, where Wit comes out and basically says, you know, y'all trust me, but you should realize that I have a larger agenda here, and if I have to sacrifice Roshar, I will. Yep. I think we get a scene with Wit that throws even more doubt in our minds of do we trust him? Just because every character in this world seems to have some of that. Some sort of a dark side, some sort of a doubt associated with them, and, and Hoyt doesn't really have one. So I think it's time, as we lead into book five, where... All of our key players are going to have to come out of the woodwork. We've got Rissen with a Dawn Shard. We've got Hoyd, who knows people. We've got Shards. We've got Sleepless. We've got World Travelers. All of these things, I think, are going to come to play in some way in the final story, Hoyd included. We, as readers, need to have a little bit of doubt in our minds of, is Hoyd on our side? I think the epilogue here in this book might plant that seed. Okay. There's your overly specific random one that may not age well, and y'all can go laugh at me now. I will have to wait till our Stormlight 5 prediction episode segment, whenever that's happening. Probably in our Stormlight, probably in our Rhythm of War wrap-up, there will be a segment on Stormlight 5 predictions for me to genuinely put in predictions for you. But until then, uh, do you guys have anything to sum up this, this episode? This was long. Like <laughs> it was. Thank you. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. I'll reconvene next. Oh, wait. Hold on. Pause. Pause the outro music. Um, Sorry. Um, There is a clip of one of you over a year ago, maybe even over two years ago, making a dumb prediction that we will revisit and we have been waiting in the Discord to revisit <laughs> For uh, over for, for months and months and months, we have been waiting and waiting and waiting to revisit it. And we will revisit it Ooh. next week. Oh, exciting. So you well, can, I'm looking forward to that. You can, go, you can go back and look at all of your dumb predictions throughout the entire yeah, podcast. I'll go, I'll go rewatch our entire podcast <laughs> yeah. series, actually, yep, exactly. and find it, yeah. Okay. Wait, just the ones from over a year, over a year, year and a half ago. Yeah. yeah. So somewhere in there, I, I won't, I won't ballpark it too much for you, but there you go. Um, okay. I am. We've been so looking forward to shoving that clip back in your faces and like getting your guys' reaction to it, and it's finally coming. Okay. Um, I can't wait for Light Song to finally enter the scene. As, yes. Uh, Shalon's other that's, persona. That's the real Sandra Lance. <laughs> Light uh -huh. song is formless. Yes, okay. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. All right. Thanks for joining me. Paul and Elliot will reconvene next week. 
See ya. Good night.